starting over. Well, we're back for another Sunday morning, and, and I appreciate everybody who's chosen to listen to this and keep up with what we're doing here at Fieldstone. Uh, I know it's definitely a downer that we can't be together on Sunday mornings, but it's nice to be able to at least continue on and uh, digging through Scripture and, and keeping up with what God's doing in, uh, in our individual lives, in our families, and as a church. There's certainly lots going on, and hopefully you've been engaging with some of the Facebook Live opportunities and some of the things that Joe has been doing for the students on Zoom. Um, you know, we're, we're certainly not uh, the church that's going to be kind of on the front lines of some of the technology stuff. That's just not how we're built. It's not uh, what's in our DNA, but we are certainly uh, uh, going to be experimenting a little bit and trying different things and making sure that we're able to stay connected and stay uh, somewhat relational, uh, even in this really weird time. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely over it, <laughs> right? Like, I have different opinions of this whole situation every single day, sometimes every hour. Uh, but one thing I do know and one thing I have fallen on and, and has been a huge source of peace for me has been um, no matter where your loyalties lie politically, no matter where your loyalties lie on the, the huge spectrum of beliefs about what this virus is and what it's doing to us and, and what the shutdown is and what that's doing to us, wherever you fall on that, I want to assure you there is no human being that's truly in control. Right? That there are no decisions made, there is no authority given that doesn't first pass through the throne room of God uh, and seek his approval. And so whatever is going down, whatever effect is being had around the world or even in your personal life, please be assured, please, please have peace and take comfort knowing uh, that the authority, the big decision maker, is still Jesus. Right, And so we can rest in that. And hopefully you're... you're uh, at least taking some time to have some extra time with family or your kids or whoever. Uh, thank God it's been sunny and nice. And uh, But hey, it's Palm Sunday, right? And Palm Sunday is a big day. Uh, I mean, you've got uh, on the, the Mount Rushmore of church days, <laughs> certainly you got Christmas and Easter are up there. Uh, Palm Sunday is not far behind when it comes to uh, the church calendar because on Palm Sunday, you know, that Good Friday is coming, right? That sacrifice is coming. But shortly after that sacrifice, Easter's coming. The resurrection is coming. But first, Palm Sunday, I mean, it's one that can be as, as big of a deal as, as it is. It can easily get kind of glossed over when it comes to uh, celebratory Sundays. So today, I just want to take a few minutes, just kind of a quick reminder and, and a bit of a challenge when it comes to Palm Sunday. Because, like, really, what what the heck actually happened on Palm Sunday? Certainly we have Jesus, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem on the donkey. Um, and so I want to start with that passage because that's going to lay the context where we go next. Because we got to start New Testament and then we're going to go Old Testament, which is always kind of a fun journey um, to see some of those parallels. But um, Matthew chapter 21 is where we, uh, and, and really this is in all the Gospels, there's different details given in each one. But Matthew 21, I'll read verse 1 through 11, and that'll kind of uh, get us in the mindset of Palm Sunday and, and what we're actually talking about with Jesus' uh, triumphant entry into Jerusalem. So verse 1, it says, As they approached Jerusalem, this is Jesus and his disciples kind of on their travels, and came to Bethpage on the Mountain of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. 
This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 6, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So as I said, this this story, this situation shows up in all of the Gospels with, you know, little details here and there. Uh, but this is this is kind of an exciting scenario, right? This, this is a big deal. And, and in many ways, it's hard to imagine the scene. You're talking first century. What did that look like? What do these crowds look like? Are we talking about dozens? Are we talking about hundreds? Are we talking about thousands? Um, what's with laying the branches down and the coats down? Um, and, and I got to imagine, among a crowd of any size, uh, some probably only understood what was happening in the moment, right? Maybe didn't have the full context. They're thinking, okay, maybe Jesus is this conquering Messiah that we've been waiting for. Maybe he's maybe he's going to liberate us from Rome, right? Certainly a big issue at the time. Maybe he's gonna maybe he's gonna clean up the mess of this legalistic religion that we're stuck in at this point. Maybe Jesus is just a reason to celebrate in a time when everything else feels kind of dark, right? You're oppressed, you're down, you're looking for any semblance of hope, and this this guy comes through providing some energy, providing some hope. Maybe it's just a reason to celebrate. Now, here's something that's really important. Whatever the crowds fully understood, whatever the people taking part in this fully understood, it's important to note that that some, specifically the key, some key figures, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they knew exactly what was going on. They knew exactly what Jesus was doing. They're hearing people shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. That's a big deal. And in Mark's version, uh, it actually says that the Pharisees rebuked, said to Jesus, hey, rebuke your followers. They're saying some pretty big time things. They are celebrating something. And you know, what the, and so he says, rebuke your followers. They're, they're taking this way too seriously. And they did that because they knew exactly what Jesus was doing. And so that brings up the question, what exactly was Jesus doing? Well, for that, we have to go back to the Old Testament, um, back to, really, if you weren't aware, back to the first triumphal entry. Because what Jesus was doing, it wasn't the first time something like this had happened. That's what makes this such a big deal. It wasn't this wasn't the first time. And so when we go back, um, some of this comes from First Kings, it comes from Chronicles, it comes from the prophet Samuel and, and his writings. But basically, we go back to the Old Testament, back to First Kings, where King David, from David and Goliath, King David from David and Bathsheba, right? All the, all the stories that you've heard growing up in church. David is still king, but he's getting kind of old, right? His, his health is failing. He is not... David the conquering warrior at this point. He is not David the young shepherd boy at this point. He's, he's been king for a while. He's aging. His health is failing. He's having trouble even staying warm at night. Um, and so 
understandably, people are starting to wonder who's next, right? Who, who's going to step in? Uh, I'm Certainly the whole nation is wondering, but especially you think about others in leadership around him are wondering. His family is wondering. He's got several sons who understandably are, they're wondering who's going to be next, who's the heir to the throne. And so the scenario plays out where one of David's sons, Adonijah, he decides that it should be him. He should be the next king. He should be the heir to the throne. And so he doesn't just state this. He kind of jumps in and he recruits Joab, which was David's great general. If you haven't read about Joab through the Old Testament, this guy is a stud. So Adonijah recruits Joab to be on his side. He recruits a very influential priest to be on his side. And so these three, they actually set up a private coronation to crown Adonijah the next king. Now, this is pretty, pretty brave. This is pretty bold. So you got, I got to believe that David is definitely getting close to the end if they're being so bold as to crown one of his sons king at this point. So they set up this private coronation, which is part arrogant, part subtle, right? They're not doing this way out in public. And they throw this party basically saying, I am the heir to the throne. Whenever David is done, whenever he steps aside by choice or by death, I am the next king. Now, here, there, there's an issue with them doing this. Because David, by God's direction, had already chosen Solomon to be the next king. God had directed David, said, listen, we're going to make this promise. This is what's going to happen. Solomon will be the next king. So this is not just a family issue. Certainly is a family issue. It's not just a family issue. This is not just a who gets the crown issue. It's certainly a, a who gets the crown issue, but it's not just a who gets a crown issue. This is a battle for the headship of God's people. This is choosing God and the person he's chosen to be king or choosing some other dude who has decided that he should be king. And so this, there's a lot of dynamics going on here, none bigger than the influence of God over the nation of his people. And so uh, as this is all going on, People start to catch wind of what Adonijah is doing, what Joab and this other priest are doing. And so David is informed. Bathsheba, who is Solomon's mom, and the great prophet Nathan, they come to David and say, hey, did you know that this other son of yours is doing what he's doing? And, and David said, I did not know. And so what he does is he reaffirms his promise. He reaffirms God's plan that Solomon would be king, and then he takes action. So here's what happens. First Kings uh, chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 32. Here's, here's the action that David takes when he finds out what Adonijah is doing. King David said, Call in Zadok the priest, call Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jeho Jehoiada. And when they came before the king, he said to them, Take your Lord's servants with you and have Solomon my son mount my own mule and take him down to Gehan. There have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon! Then you are to go up with him, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have anointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah son of Jehiah answered the king, Amen, may the Lord, the God of my Lord the king, so declare it. As the Lord was with my lord the king, so may he be with Solomon to make his throne even greater than the throne 
of King David. Now, if you're listening, if you're reading along, you're picking up on what's happening here, right? Verse 33, you see the mule. We're going to set Solomon on a mule. Uh, And who is Solomon? The son of David. And not only does he put the son of David on a mule, but he walks him into Jerusalem on the same path that Jesus took, right? And that's the path that Solomon is taking in and to sit on the throne and to be anointed the king. You're you're starting to see the parallels, right? So continuing on, verse 38 through the end. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah, son of Jehiah, uh, the Carathites and the Pelathites went down and had Solomon mount King David's mule, and they escorted him to Gahan. Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. They sounded the trumpet, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon, who is the son of David. And all the people went up after him, playing pipes and rejoicing greatly, so that the ground shook with the sound. Now remember, this other party is still happening. This other, this other declaration of kingship is already happening with the other son, Adonijah. So verse 41, Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they were finishing their feast. On hearing the sound of the trumpet, Joab asked, what's the meaning of all the noise in the city? Even as he was speaking, Jonathan, son of Abiathar, the priest arrived and Adonijah said, come in. Man like you must be bringing good news. Not at all, Jonathan answered. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehida, the Carathites and the Pelathites, and they've put him on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gehan, and from there have gone up cheering, and the city resounds with it. That's the noise you hear, and moreover, Solomon has taken his seat on the royal throne, and the royal officials have come to congratulate King David, saying, May your God make Solomon's name more famous than yours, and his throne greater than yours. And the king bowed in worship on his bed and said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has allowed my eyes to see a successor on the throne today. At this, as you might expect, all of Adonijah's guests rose in alarm and dispersed. They're thinking, we chose the wrong dude. But Adonijah, in fear of Solomon, went and took hold of the horns of the altar. The dude is freaking out at this point, right? He knows that he blew it. And Solomon was told, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon and is clinging to the horns of the altar. And he says, let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword, right? All of a sudden, this cocky dude who's calling himself king is crying, Solomon replied, if he shows himself to be worthy, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground, but if evil is found in him, he will die. Then King Solomon sent men and they brought Adonijah down from the altar and he came and bowed down to King Solomon and Solomon said, go to your home, get out of here, right? Like a total boss move by Solomon at this point. But the anointed king is escorted into Jerusalem on a donkey. The crowds of people are shouting, declaring him king, celebrating the son of David, the rightful heir to the throne. And anyone who initially resisted was was reduced to sniveling and whispering in the dark. Does any of this sound familiar to you, right? This is this is incredible. This is more the thing. This is more than a nice preview, even though this is a great preview. 
this is foreshadowing, but this is more than foreshadowing. This is more than a cute parallel. Here's what this is, right? Solomon's entrance, his ride into the city on a donkey, Solomon's entrance was a declaration of the true king. Solomon's entrance put the whisperers and the grumblers and the conspiracies in their place. Solomon's entrance declared that this king, the one on the donkey, is the true son of David. And for the people, for the leaders, for everyone in the city, Solomon's entrance was an unavoidable choice. So then you fast forward back to Matthew, back to the Gospels, back to the New Testament. And those, those who are experiencing Jesus' ride into the city, those who loved their heritage, those who studied their heritage knew, the Pharisees knew exactly what Jesus was doing. Jesus' entrance his ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus' entrance was a declaration of the true king. Jesus' entrance was a message from heaven in the face of the whispers and the grumblers and the conspiracies. Jesus' entrance declared this man, the one on the donkey, is the true son of David. Jesus' entrance for the people, for the leaders, for the whole city, for humanity, Jesus' entrance creates an unavoidable choice. You see, their hand was forced in that moment. It was very clear to them what was happening as Jesus rode in on a donkey. Palm Sunday. Jesus' triumphant entry represents a very clear, a very concise choice. Who is your king? Who's your king? And for us, for you, for me, there's two sides of this, right? We're given that same choice. It was the same choice they had then. It's the same choice we have now. Are you going to celebrate, honor, Lift up, declare allegiance to, arrange your life in honor of something false, something temporary, something weak? Or are you going to celebrate, honor, lift up, declare allegiance to, arrange your life in honor of someone true, someone eternal, someone strong? someone real. You might say, Justin, I, how do I know where my allegiance lies, right? So maybe some of you grew up in church, and maybe you thought this is something that's, uh, that's uh, passed down to you like an inheritance, right? Maybe, maybe you're new to the whole church scene. Maybe the story of Palm Sunday or, or even Easter is something that's foreign to you. And you're like, how do I know where my allegiance is? I've, I've been in church my whole life. I, I think I, I, I trusted Jesus. Like, how do I know, how do I know for sure where my allegiance lies? Well, some, some very practical ways of knowing. Well, what does your calendar say? What does your time with Jesus say about where your allegiance lies? What, what would your wife or your kids say about where your allegiance lies? What does your checkbook say? 
maybe that's an outdated question. What what does your QuickBooks say about where your allegiance lies to, to, to what king you've devoted yourself? What does your response in the midst of crisis say? Where do you turn when life falls apart? Who or what do you celebrate and give credit to when things are great? Those are all some pretty easy questions to think, where do my allegiances lie? The answers to those questions will reveal where you've placed your faith and where you've placed your trust. But here's the thing. Those, those are all this life kind of stuff, right? Th- those are all here and now type of questions and ways of evaluating where your allegiance lies. But here's an even bigger question. Where have you placed your hope for the next life? Right? Because here and now is a really big deal. Certainly we're experiencing uh, the, the ebbs and flows and ups and downs. We're in kind of a down time of life right now as a nation, as a world. There's things going on. That, that, that's an important topic to discuss. And certainly God has a role to play in the here and now in our practical everyday lives. But this, I mean, coronavirus or not, we're all going down at some point, right? So where have you placed your hope For the next life, who is your king? And if you've placed your faith in Jesus, it was simply this. It was simply recognizing that he is God, that he is the true and rightful king, not just of the universe, not just of the Jewish people, but of your heart and your life, recognizing that you fall short. You have fallen. And the only solution, the only hope for forgiveness, the only hope for a full life, the only hope for eternal life is found in Jesus and declaring in your heart and your mind, Jesus, you are my king. You are my God. I give you my heart. I give you my life. And from this day forward, lead me guide me, help me to love you and live for you. That's what it looks like to declare Jesus your king. You have been given that choice, and here's the reality. In in a world of uncertainty, in a world of options, there is certainty in serving the true king. When you serve the true king, There is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those things can be poured into your life and poured out of your life. In serving the true king, there is purpose and wisdom and courage, provision and mercy and grace and forgiveness. There's transformation. There's restoration. All of those things available in serving and declaring our loyalties to the one true king. It's all available. And it's your choice. Let's pray. God, uh, I love Palm Sunday. I love this whole time of the year. Um, And it seems uh, kind of interesting, God, that this Palm Sunday, this Easter, um, more than ever, we are being forced to slow down, to take a step back, to be alone with our thoughts. And God, it's my prayer that somewhere 
in this craziness, somewhere in the silence we're being forced to live in right now, that you would speak loudly and clearly into our hearts, into our minds. And God, especially for those who have never chosen to follow you as their rightful king, Jesus, speak to people this week. Remind them of the choice. Remind them that you are the rightful king, the only one that offers everything that we need. God, I pray for those who who have been following you for years, maybe even a lifetime, but maybe, God, our allegiance has waned a little bit. Maybe we've been distracted by other options. God, I pray that this season would give those an opportunity to re just kind of reevaluate a bit, God, and, and touch those hearts in a fresh way. God, may we experience you all over again as our true and rightful king. Thank you for the declaration of that first Palm Sunday, that triumphant entry, God. Thank you for the amazing parallels with Solomon and King David. God, may we respond in the right way. Amen.